Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're... The Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 8. Inventations. Return to the past. Lou Rossi was sweeping off the porch when the postman stopped at the triplex. He didn't see the man coming up the stairs behind him because he was too busy remembering the terrible phone call yesterday, the news that had shattered their peaceful afternoon. His unmarried granddaughter was pregnant. Good morning, Mr. Rossi. He looked up, startled, to find himself no longer on the porch. He accepted the mail gingerly in the clumsy fingers of his gardening glove. As the postman walked away, he recognized the handwriting on the envelope. So this was the other surprise his granddaughter had hinted at yesterday. He tore open the envelope, pulled out the invitation, and read it through. The broom slipped out of his hands. It tumbled, banging and leaping down the front stairs into the redondrons. Lou scarcely noticed. He sat down abruptly on the stairs of the triplex. He stared at the invitation to make sure it was real. He had to wait until his heart stopped hammering. Then he read the invitation again. Christmas Eve, a family dinner at Nana's house. On that day of all days. Watching his granddaughter by the house had been hard enough, but it hadn't stopped her there. He had to go back to the house again and again, helping her bring the old place back to life. He endured it all for the love of Gina. He had almost gotten used to it, but now this, a family dinner. It wasn't the distant past that bothered him. Lou would have no trouble at all returning to the house of his boyhood to the house he had lived in before the war, before the Navy, before his father's death. It was what the house had become that bothered him, the house where his mother had lived the rest of her life alone, until she could no longer be counted on to take baths or eat meals or find her way home from her far-ranging walks. She had started forgetting to take her pills. She started getting on the wrong buses. She left her purse at the bus stop. She kept losing her groceries before she can get them home. One night, she fell down the basement stairs. The next day, he found her still lying on the basement floor, stretched helplessly on the cement for almost 12 hours. It seemed like things couldn't get worse. Then things got so much worse. Near the end, on that last awful day, she had been watching for her son's arrival. He had glimpsed her briefly in one of the upstairs windows. 
she had fled at the sight of him, refusing to leave. The memories wouldn't go away. He could still see her, his sobbing, protesting mother, with gray hair, wild and undone, hiding from him in the closets and the rooms upstairs, running from his approach, ignoring his calming words, his soothing promises. How she had screamed and cried when he found her. He had to drag her out of one hiding place after another, torn her away from what was left of her life, ignored her shrieks of protest. Her loving son had condemned her to her nursing home, full of strangers, where she quickly lost what was left of her memory as well as her will to live. He stopped himself. He couldn't bear to remember anymore. Lou loved his mother so much. He had tried to do the right thing. He would never know if he had. He had spent the rest of the year going through her belongings and then quickly sold the house to the Remedios del Duno. Two years later, at lunch with the realtor from Beacon Hill, Lou discovered that Miss del Duno had tired of the house in an unusually short time. She had sold it to the gentleman next door, Walter Kim, whose extended family had grown too large, who welcomed a convenient addition to his own home. Not convenient enough. In less than two years, he had sold it to Mike Morshma, who sold it to Evelyn Denny, who sold it to Charlie Wu, who eagerly sold it to Gina. And so the house that no one wanted for long had strangely returned to the Rossi family. Inescapable burden. Stirring the chicken soup on the stove, Gloria Rossi heard her husband come in from sweeping the front stairs. She noticed that Lou was taking an unusually long time making his way down the hall. By the time he appeared in the kitchen doorway, she could tell from the expression on his face that something had shaken him. What's wrong now? As if yesterday's upsetting phone call hadn't been enough. Take a look, he said, handing her the invitation. Gloria held it up to the light, squinting at the squiggly lettering, and made out the words one by one. I don't believe it, she said slowly. In her condition, that girl is biting off more than she can chew. You really think her father will come? You know Sam. Once he's lost his temper, he doesn't back down easily. What about Tony? Not in a million years. She's dreaming if she thinks her Uncle Tony is going to come. Well, if she wants to do it, said Lou philosophically, there's nothing we can do to stop her. She chose the perfect place for it. The perfect place. She conceded to her husband. She dropped the subject. Nana's death had been a painless relief for Gloria. Her clinging, possessive mother-in-law had been the inescapable burden of her married life. The ever-present price of marrying Lou Rossi. The old woman's blind adoration for her only son had accorded Gloria to the family status of favored servant. Nana's death had been a liberation, beginning the happiest seven years of Gloria's marriage. It was a relief that Nana was gone. A Christmas Eve dinner at Nana's house sounded like a nightmare. She dreaded the effect it would have on her husband, the harrowing experience of taking care of his mother those last few years. 
stopping by her house every morning before work, every evening after work. Watching her forget more and more had trained him, aged him. She didn't want to watch Lou go through all that again. Lou and Gloria regarded each other. They didn't have to talk about it. The subject thickened the air around them, but remained unspoken. Well, one thing's for sure, said Gloria at last. With a dinner that size, Gina is going to need some help. She looked at her husband. Sounds like you and I are going to be busy. She'll never be able to do it alone, he said. He scowled at the invitation. Doesn't look like dinner starts until 8. Seems pretty late for Christmas Eve. He pointed out the number to his wife. Can you see that? Is that an 8 or a 3? Looks like a 3 to me, said Gloria. She squinted at it. But I'm not wearing my glasses. Complication. Barbara Rossi checked the casserole in the microwave. She was throwing together something quick for Sam and the kids before meeting with the church charity drive committee. She was a well-kept woman in her late 30s with a distracted look in her dark eyes, as though she had succeeded in remembering many obligations but had forgotten one important thing. Her kitchen windows looked out on well-kept gardens and well-trimmed lawns in a neighborhood of wealthy old homes on a curving tree-lined street in Wedgwood. The kitchen was huge, with all the latest conveniences. She commanded it briskly and efficiently, and often a great speed. There was never enough time. The telephone rang. It was Sam, calling to say he'd be late for dinner. He was the kind of husband who was often late, and always called. She was lucky. She had managed to marry a man of her dreams. Sam Rossi had given her everything she ever wanted. Dream husband, dream kids, dream house. There was only one complication to her complete peace of mind. One lingering threat of her happiness and her family, her brother-in-law, Tony. It wasn't that there was anything obviously wrong with Sam's brother. He was fine, all things considered, but he made her nervous. For one thing, when she looked him in the eye, she always suspected he was on drugs. Whenever she found him hanging around her son, Wally, she got an uncomfortable shiver. What were his intentions? She, for one, could never forget what he had been accused of not so long ago. She had always made certain Uncle Tony was never alone with her attractive, lost, impressionable son, Wally. She could scarcely conceal her relief when Sam and his brother began to see less and less of each other. Uncle Tony hadn't come to a family dinner for years. She liked it that way. Take your time, she said. Tonight's my charity drive meeting, remember? The microwave bell dinged. Her casserole was ready. She wouldn't have time to sample any. She was already going to be a few minutes late to her meeting. She was chopping some nuts for the casserole topping with Wally shuffled in after school, mumbled hello, and dropped the mail on the kitchen table. With the phone propped between her shoulder and ear, she nudged aside the bills, uncovered the holy bordered envelope, noticed who it was from, and tore it open, while her husband chattered on something about she didn't hear. Sam was just getting ready to hang up. She didn't let him. Oh no, wait, you don't. We're not through yet. Guess what arrived in the mail today? The last thing Barbara had been expecting 
was not to prepare the lavish family Christmas Eve dinner herself. The subject is closed. Traffic was hell. Interstate 5 was backed up like a sewer. Afternoon rush hour had tied up all lanes. Christmas made it worse. There was obviously an accident up ahead somewhere. He just couldn't see where. All Sam Rossi could see were cars and cars and cars, slowing down all around him into a thick metal mess. He would clearly not be home in time for dinner. He reached for his car phone, keeping an eye on the nervous, indecisive driver on his right. Hi, honey, he said. Hey, I'm doing my best, but it's not good enough. Sam Rossi always did his best. Lately, his best had not been good enough. After trying to be a good person, a good Catholic, and a good parent for almost 20 years, he now found himself not speaking to his brother and on terrible terms with all three of his children. His oldest daughter had gotten herself pregnant without a husband. His second daughter was violently rejecting Catholicism. His son, his greatest hope, had turned his back on sports, had dropped off the basketball team, the baseball team, and the soccer team. And why? So that he could waste his time getting stoned and drawing cartoons. For Sam Rossi, all three of his greatest investments in life had gone belly up. Sam would never reveal his growing sense of unhappiness to anyone. He had never been the one to show his loved ones the kinks in his armor. He showed his love and his strength and his ability to protect and provide and his control. Thanks for calling, sweetheart, she said. Love you. Love you. It was formula, but true. He did love his wife. She was smart, pleasant, gorgeous, a great mother, and an armful in bed, a social ally, a reliable friend. Take your time, she said. Tonight's my charity drive meeting, remember? I made a casserole for you and the kids. Sounds great. See you afterward. She surprised him by staying on the line. Guess what arrived in the mail today? Sam edged around a semi-truck that was blocking his vision and began watching for an opportunity to slip into the next lane. More bills, he said. Of course more bills, said Barbara. That's a law of the universe. There are always more bills. I give up, said Sam. He saw his chance. He was a good driver. He made his move and was in the next lane, smooth and easy. Tell me, what came? An invitation, said Barbara, from Gina. He stopped seeing the freeway lanes ahead of him. He was seeing his daughter's face. Gina. A very painful subject. What was it about her that made him love her so much he ended up shouting? He tried to hear what Barbara was saying. A Christmas Eve dinner and her new home for the whole family. Christmas Eve, said Sam. The whole family? Well, that's her stupidest move yet. I shudder to think what the next stunt will be. Obviously, we're not going to any such dinner. At least I'm not. The subject is closed. I wouldn't be so sure about that, said Barbara skeptically. Said Barbara skeptically. The subject is closed. He repeated with fervor. Sam Rossi gripped the steering wheel. He meant it. He was in control. Smoke gets in your eyes. 
The kitchen table was floating in a liminal sea. Wally Rossi could feel the liminal rising, sinking, causing his chair to surge and fall, bobbing on waves of plastic yellow. Little black flecks swam through the glossy sea in the whirling schools of confusion. He gripped the edge of the kitchen table, feeling the floor heavy and sink below him. Wally's baseball cap was tipped strategically forward. The brim of the cap, at the particular angle, effectively concealed his red eyes from his mother. Not that hiding anything from his mother was so hard to do. Mom always had other things on her mind. At the moment, she had effectively forgotten that her son was even there, which was fine with Wally. Mom was getting pretty worked up over something with his father on the phone. Something about a disaster being planned by his sister for Christmas Eve. You may consider the subject closed, said his mother. But is that what you're going to tell your parents? Is that what you're going to tell your kids? I think not, dear. I think you may not realize it yet, but you've just had your Christmas Eve plans decided for you and your whole family, whether you like it or not. Wally listened intently, not budging an inch. For fear of portraying his presence, he was a shy, pudgy 14-year-old who preferred reading comics to playing on a little league team. He tried to please his father. He turned out for every sport. He had always been mediocre and hated every minute of it. He would rather read an exciting book than play on any team. He would rather watch a movie than a football game. Instead of a national sports logo, his baseball cap featured Mickey Mouse. His sweatshirt proudly displayed Silverster the Cat and Tweety. Wally loved cartoons. He had a passion and talent for drawing. He sketched cartoon characters all up and down the margins of his notebook paper. He did characters of his teachers and many of his classmates. Someday, he would create a great comic strip. Meanwhile, life was hell. Six months ago, Wally Rossi had shared a joint with a neighborhood kid in the park. Wham! He had discovered a whole new plant. He wasted no time returning again and again to the exhilarating world of drug thoughts and stone fantasies. He started buying his own weed. His parents didn't suspect a thing. He got high during his lunch breaks. It was easier to tolerate school that way. He didn't have to worry about what other kids thought of him. He was safe in his own world. Not until his mother was hanging up the phone did she see Wally in front of her, sitting at the kitchen table, clearly listening to every word. Getting an earful, he grinned. What exactly is on your mind, mister? Not much, said Wally. That was his new answer. It summed up how much his mother knew about him these days. He made a move toward the hall door. Just a minute, young man, said mom, setting down the hot casserole on the counter. She regarded him swiftly with a sharp, practiced eye. Why do those eyes look so tired? Are you getting enough sleep? Sure, Mom. Guess I better start on my homework. He bounded up the stairs two at a time, darted into his bedroom, and slammed the door. Made it. His gecko stared at him out the glass terrarium. He gave a few friendly taps on the glass with his fingernail. The gecko blinked at him. He pulled out his sketchbook. 
stretched out on the bed, and returned to work on his exciting new comic strip, stroke by stroke, frame by frame. His pencil brought to animated life the incredible heroic exploits of Super Gecko, master of the universe. Christmas Eve at Nana's house, he thought. Well, things could be worse. His memories of Nana's house were vague, but he seemed to remember lots of rooms upstairs. Plenty of places to disappear to, if the scene became too intense. Places where no one would find him if he needed to calm down. He intended to remain calm. He would be going to Christmas Eve dinner with both his sketchbook and something to smoke. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at the underscore Porter Gals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at roguemedianetwork.com. You've been listening to The Polter Gals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media podcast.